So in the season between Epiphany and Lent, we've been exploring stories from the very beginning of Jesus's ministry, his baptism by John, his temptation in the wilderness, and conversations that he had with folks like Nicodemus about the kind of new life that Jesus was bringing into the world. All of these provided a kind of a thematic framework for the teachings and the miracles that Jesus would do over the following few years. And our story this morning is another important piece of this framework puzzle. Jesus calling Peter, as well as James and John, a group of Galilean fishermen. Our text comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. Listen now for the word of God. Once, while Jesus was standing beside the lake of Gennesaret, and the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he saw two boats there at the shore of the lake. The fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little way from the shore. Then he sat down and taught the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we have worked all night long, but caught nothing. Yet, if you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done this, they had caught so many fish that their nets were beginning to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Go away from me, Lord for I am a sinful man. For he and all who were with him were amazed at the catch of fish that they had taken. So also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. Then Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will be catching people. When they had brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please pray with me. O God, whose love is both fierce and tender, be with us now as we open our minds and our hearts to your word. Quiet the distractions within and without, so that we might notice what you want to show us. In and through this, your holy word, shape us into the people you dreamt of at creation. Amen. Amen. Many of you know that my husband, Sean, and I are the lucky parents of our four-year-old son, Julian. And like most parents, we have found the experience of being a parent the most rewarding and hard experience of our lives. And even though we have been lucky to not have big issues in his life, it's still been challenging, just like every other uh, journey of parenting. And in the last several months, we've been going through a more difficult season with some health issues that related to sleep stuff and then behavioral stuff around the sleep stuff. And so like any other problem or distressing situation, uh, we tend to do a deep dive into researching best practices and formulas and solutions, and um, and I'm no different. So uh, it's been pretty all-consuming of researching different ways to help our kid navigate emotional regulation, uh, anxiety separation, or separation anxiety when it comes to sleep. 
But what was particularly difficult in the past few months is that all the things I came across when it came to teaching emotional regulation to young children didn't seem to help our son. If anything, it just seemed to escalate things and made the meltdowns bigger and bigger and everyone was overwhelmed and everyone's crying and it just has been really challenging. We began to wonder, do we need to pursue therapy or some other intervention? Like, what's going on here? I finally came across this concept uh, called Deeply Feeling Kids from an Instagram parenting pseudo-celebrity, Becky Kennedy. As you might tell from my tone, I was very skeptical. (laughs) But she's a doctor, she's a therapist, and I was also pretty desperate and very tired. And as I read more about it, I kept thinking, wow, this is so my kid. And wow, this was so me when I was a kid. This was my husband when he was a kid. And so the primary difference with kids who kind of experience these feelings a little bit more intensely is that they go from zero to 60 very quickly in terms of emotional intensity. And one of the things that stuck out to me um, is that she said, vulnerability sits next to shame. And that when a child who is overwhelmed by something that's not going right or a mistake that they made or some other thing that is distressing to them, they feel very vulnerable. And when we feel vulnerable, if it sits next to shame, part of what shame does is it uh, nudges us to push people away. So you'll find a child who um, maybe falls down and hurts themselves, and you might, you might want to echo and say, man, that's so frustrating. Um, that looks like it really hurt. And, and most neurotypical kids might say, like, yeah, that, okay, thank you. You know, hug, kiss, like, we're all better. But kids who have these kind of these bigger feelings will say, I'm fine, leave me alone. And you're just like, wait a second. Like, I'm trying to soothe you and comfort you, and you're, like, pushing me away. Like, what's, what's happening here? So there's this, this vulnerability and shame kind of dual thing happening, and there's a fear in these kids that their big feelings, this thing that feels so overwhelming to them, is going to negatively impact their world around them, that they somehow have the power with this intensity to kind of dismantle the structures that actually keep them safe. And what I appreciated about her take on this, she has another quote about Um, shame that I thought was really interesting. She says, uh, shame is an evolutionarily adaptive feeling. Being alone as a child is synonymous with being in danger. So shame works within the attachment system as a signal to a child to hide a part of them that does not successfully gain attachment. So basically what that means, if a child feels like they're too much, that their intensity is too much for their parent, then they're going to stifle that because they need to stay connected to that parent. And if the parent is trying to force things and make things change and quiet them and shush them, it's just going to escalate more. And so I'm, I'm aware that I'm deep in a parenting analogy here, but I hope that you can start to see how this works even with our grown-ups. Because the response, the, the suggestion of this therapist is... To, to not do some of the things you might be inclined to do, to not reflect back to them what you think that they're feeling, or to um, keep using lots of soothing statements with them. But really, the solution is to just be very present 
to not go away when they say, leave me alone, and to sit and kind of show that you're not afraid of their big feelings, that you're not afraid of their intensity. You know it's going to pass. You're 30, 40-something years old, and you know that meltdowns don't last forever. You know they're feeling shame, and they want to push you away. So you don't leave. You don't push them further. You don't try and fix it, but you don't leave. You stay. And that staying speaks volumes to that child without words. And I will tell you that as a person who resonates with this idea of intense feelings, even saying to my kid, I'm here, you're safe, I'm not scared of these big feelings, it'll get better, I'm not leaving, I'm here, has been pretty remarkable for my own well-being. <laughs> when I'm having my own really big feelings about something else, being able to say to myself, I'm, we're here. Like, it's not the end of the world. This intensity is not going to um, ruin all the structures that keep you safe. So how does this relate to Peter? Well, Peter, Peter kind of gets um, stereotyped in the Gospels as... Uh, the disciple of of what not to do, right? He tends to be um, the butt of a lot of jokes. Jason and I were talking in the office this week about this and how uh, his name is Simon. Jesus' nickname is Peter, which in Greek means the rock, which is a joke because Peter is so fluid and variable that the thought that he would be a stable rock is kind of absurd. And yet also that's Jesus being funny and articulating vocation into which Peter will step eventually, right, because he becomes the foundation of the church. But all throughout the Gospels, Peter's responses to Jesus and the things that happen um, in Jesus' ministry are over the top. They are emotional. He's impulsive. He's the one in the Garden of Gethsemane who uh, draws the sword and cuts off the guard's ear. He is the one who says, I'll never... I'll never leave you, Jesus, no matter what, and then denies him three times. He is the one, when Jesus is washing feet, he's like, don't do that. That's not for you to do. And when Jesus explains it a little bit more, and he says, oh, right, so maybe I should do this then, he goes, okay, my whole body then. Let's do the whole thing. Like, he's just so up and down. Peter struggles with emotional regulation, And honestly, regardless of whether you are neurotypical or neurodiverse, wherever you find yourself and how your brain works, there is something universal to difficulty with emotional regulation. It's part of being human, is having feelings, right? And figuring out what to do with those things. So Peter's response to Jesus in this story is so fascinating to me because it was so strange and unusual in the context of the story. We hear this story preached often, and we focus just on this little snippet, and a lot of folks will talk about how amazing it was that Jesus said, follow me, and they just decide to follow Jesus, which it is, except that in each gospel, there's actually more context going on there. And in Luke's gospel, it's unlikely that Jesus was a complete stranger to them. It wasn't a big area. And just the chapter before, Jesus had healed Peter's mother-in-law. So Peter's seen Jesus do some interesting things. He's heard him preach all day long from this boat, the word of God, scripture says. He's seen this healing happen. 
Also in the Gospel of Luke, we have people who are trying to get Jesus to stay with them. They're kind of clinging to him and pressing in on him uh, to get more information from him or healing from him. So everyone else is trying to get closer to Jesus, but Peter has this response of like pushing him away. So I'm curious as to, there's different ways that we can interpret Peter's first statement to Jesus, right? So they get there, they've been up all night, washing their nets, that means they're done for the night. Jesus sits in the boat, teaches for we're not sure how long. Peter's been up all night already. And perhaps he's being polite by letting the boat be used in this way. He's trying to pay attention even though he's exhausted. Perhaps he's even compelled by the things that Jesus is talking about. This is interesting. This is life-giving. Maybe this is, this is the one. And then Jesus says this very absurd thing. Go out into deep water and let down your net. So if they've been fishing all night and it's daytime, then why would it work in the daytime? That doesn't make sense. There's so many things about Jesus' response or that his uh, invitation here that don't make sense. And so a lot of times when we read this text, we either criticize Peter for not just obeying without question. Some people find in Peter's response this kind of tenuous hope and faith, like, okay, Jesus, I don't understand what you're doing here, but I'm going to go with you because I'm, I've started to get to know you. I've started to trust you. I'm going to do what you say. If you say so, I will put down the net. And I think that interpretation is very authentic and it's there. But this time around... I wondered, what if Peter, when he said, if you say so, what if he was being kind of snarky? What if he was being sarcastic? What if he said, "Uh, Jesus, we've been fishing all night long, but sure, if you say so, I'll put down the net. Fine, right? Do you remember being teenager having those feelings with their parents, fine, I'll do what you ask me to say. If you say so, I will do it. Right? And so if Peter, if that's the tone that Peter had, we don't know, but what if it was? Peter's um, filter is gone. His politeness is, he's, he's run out of that. So if, if Peter's response is kind of this hopeful faithful one, then in a sense when we reveal our doubt but also our hope, that's a vulnerable thing, right? But if Peter's response was this more kind of snarky, sarcastic version, when all of those fish appear, his failure from a night's worth of work that resulted in nothing is pushed in his face his frustration, his exhaustion. He is embarrassed. He's vulnerable. And so what is often paired with vulnerability but shame? While everyone else is trying to get Jesus to to stick with them and stay around, and Peter views this amazing miracle, and instead of saying, like, wow, okay, how can I be close to you? How can I follow you? Can I be a part of this really cool thing? Instead, he says, go away from me, Lord, for I am a sinful man. He is ashamed. He is pushing Jesus away. 
I am a sinful man. I've done too many bad things. I've even been rude to you about your request that resulted in this miracle. I don't have the, the skills to kind of articulate what's happened. Just, just go away. Just go away from me. And what does Jesus do? Jesus says, Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. And then it says, When they brought their boats to shore, they left everything and followed him. Do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. And this shows us a couple really interesting things. Jesus doesn't deny that Peter is a sinful man. He doesn't say, no, 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 it's okay. You're fine. Like, well, let's just figure this out. Jesus doesn't push him. He doesn't try and soothe him. He just stays and says, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching people. I hear in this this kind of tone of like, we're going to be together. We're do- you don't have to do this by yourself. Don't be afraid. I'm here with you. Let down your net. Let me show you who I am, my power, my ability to do new things and work beyond your expectations and imagination. That's who I am for you, Peter. That's the invitation that's happening there. And I want to be careful here because sometimes when we hear, okay, do something even though you're exhausted, that kind of dynamic can lead us to burnout, and that's not what's happening here. Jesus isn't saying, okay, just push through your fatigue and keep working. Jesus is saying, look at who I am and how I want to be with you, and I'm inviting you into a different kind of fishing, a different kind of work. I had a mentor uh, years ago who always said, uh, we were working in social services together, um, it's never about what it's about, which was his kind of cryptic way of speaking. But... It's never about what it's about, which means when someone gets very annoyed about the color of a carpet or that the dishes weren't in the right order or they can't find something, it's not actually about the carpet or the dishes or any of that. There's something else kind of deeper going on that's making a person react so intensely to that issue. And for Peter, in this story... It's not about the fish. It's not about a big catch. Jesus knows there's something deeper going on in Peter. He's exhausted, not only from working all night, but spiritually and emotionally exhausted. It has been decades, centuries, of waiting for a Messiah. Perhaps he's heard these claims before, and they never panned out. So even in the midst of that, in that overwhelm and that vulnerability of like, yes, I want someone to come. I want God's Savior to be among us. But that hope is vulnerable. Jesus still meets him there. So I'm wondering for us today, What is the 
invitation that we're receiving? What is the work that we're invited to that makes us so weary that we want to give up? Again, for Peter, maybe it wasn't actually fishing, but it was the work of hope. And there's a lot of different invitations that I think we might be feeling in this season. Maybe you are being invited to feel hope after us a hard season. Maybe you're being invited to slow down and practice noticing God's work in your lives. But I think one of the most powerful invitations of this text for us today is to meet ourselves and others in the same way that Jesus met Peter in the midst of his fear and his shame. Because Peter, Jesus met Peter in the midst of his fear and his shame, and he said, I'm here. We're going to do this together. Do not be afraid. In other words, the shame that you're feeling does not scare me. The shame that you're feeling is not going to result in me leaving you. I'm here. I'm staying. So can we be with ourselves and others in our vulnerability and our shame? Can we stay instead of judging and turning away? Because what Jesus is ushering in in this story and in his entire ministry is a new way of understanding how we relate to God. This means that vulnerability does not equal shame. Vulnerability can lead us not to shame and isolation, but instead to love and connection to the God who made us. That is the world that Jesus was bringing into being. That's what God is still doing in our lives today. God desires our vulnerability. God wants us to have a faith with no filter. We don't need to be super polite about what we're feeling. Some snark is fine. God wants us to be honest and authentic with God because our vulnerability is a way of connection, not of separation. This invitation to do not be afraid, to trust that Jesus will be with him, yields a a miraculous response. Believe everything and follow him. It doesn't fix Peter's emotional regulation issues. We'll see that throughout the rest of the story. But it also never results in Jesus leaving him either. And we know the end of Peter's story. We know how much he grows and evolves and how much he is involved in the church to come. So it's my hope and my prayer for us that when we're feeling vulnerable, when others in our lives are feeling that way, that we might let God show us the way to be present and to stay and to trust that God is with us in the midst of that too. Amen.